I am Quentin Wilson. And I am Jensen Beeler. And together we are the Two Enthusiasts Podcast. The Two Enthusiasts Podcast. There is no napping when it comes to brapping. Wow. You rhymed it. Yeah. So. It's the only one I could ever think of. A little Shakespearean of you. (laughs) You should get your iambic pentameter on. There is no napping. Can we do a haiku? When it comes to brapping. Oh, we should do haikus. (laughs) Well, totally. I'll bring out a haiku. I call them haikus because then I usually don't mess. I don't get the, what is it, 575? Yeah. I'll usually screw it up a little bit and that's a haiku. It works though. All right. What are we chatting about? Um, well, it's, well, it's interesting because I literally just got the last show out today and we've awesome. Well, I wish, I wish it was a little earlier. Right. I know you wish, but I'm just stoked that it's like happening every week. That's amazing. We're, we're falling into the groove. So, so to help facilitate that we've moved our recording day earlier into the week. So I don't have like three or two days to get a show together. I, now I, I've got and, like six when days. I, I got is, home. It was like, well, we were going to do the, we were going to do it today, but now it's too late. I'm like, no, it's not. So let's just do it. And that's where we're, that's where we're at. So right. I feel it's okay. I'm going to lean heavily on my glass of Mountain Dew for, for inspiration. Yep. So yeah, it's kind of interesting because we don't have a whole week of stuff to reflect on yet. So we're going to kind of have to just make stuff up, just make up some headlines. Um, Eric Buell Racing had a fantastic record-breaking month. Going to just, <laughs> I don't know, strong Q3 sales. <laughs> Everything's going great there. Uh, Harley Davidson is going to come out with even more new bikes. They bought out Scully, and Scully is now rich with with money from Harley. So <laughs> this is this is like this is what every April Fool's, April Fool's is like for me. Yeah. Where I just sit there and just like, oh, oh, I get to make the news up today. What what <laughs> what can it be? It's pretty much the best day of my life. It's like 364 days of just kind of like pushing paper for that one day, that one April Fool's day where I get to like truly live. He seriously gets so excited by that, which is great. And you've caused kerfuffles. Like, people get shitty. I, yeah, I'm not welcoming East Troy anymore. Got a very angry message from Eric Buell one year. I guess his phone was ringing off the hook all day. To which I replied, I'm sorry, did your phone ring off the hook all day for people that wanted to buy your bikes? I want 100 bucks for every sale you got. <laughs> you know, I'm going to send you my consulting bill. If you don't know what to do with a bunch of people knocking down your door to buy product from you, then I don't know. I don't, maybe that's why you went out of business. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Sorry for partying. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, Quentin, I had a, I was going to say I had a really good day at the track. I didn't have a very good day at the track, but it's mostly. You made the best of it. I made the best of it, but it's mostly my fault. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to raise my hand and say that was my fault. So I got the R1 out. I dusted her off. Didn't quite get the battery charged, but we got it close enough. We ended up jumping in at the track. Start to get out of the pits. And I'm just checking my brakes as I bled my front brakes and I hadn't really given it the full once over while I was in the in the pit. So I was kind of doing that on the way out to the grid and front brake feels good. Pumped it up. Good go. And I started pumping the rear brake and it's not really there. I checked it at the house and it, it, it stopped the rear wheel and I was like, all right, that passes Jensen tech, but I'm going out the pits and it's like, it's not really there, and I'm really articulating my foot all the way down to get brake pressure. I'm like, oh, that's not ideal, but I don't know. It's like I pump it a little bit. Maybe it's just kind of got a little air in it or whatever, and I pump it, and I'm pumping. And then I feel it finally go all the way through, like a full foot stroke to the bottom, and there's just no resistance. I'm like, oh, no. I think like maybe the spring is gone or something. Something's not right, and I look down, and I can't really see Everything looks mechanically okay, and then I give it a couple more pumps, and I'm literally watching the brake fluid squirt out. It was like a, it was like one of those bad horror flicks. 
you know like a jugular yeah and it's like the like the the corn syrup spray and it's just squirting out the side of the bike and i'm just going like oh nuts and this is how i know i became an adult because younger jensen would have been like eh, rear brake you don't need a rear yeah, brake who uses rear brake that's just superfluous that's just extra weight that's unsprung weight that you don't even you don't even need. It's the vestigial organ of a motorcycle. Yeah, this is like a, more, uh, or a motorcycle's like appendix. <laughs> you should just get rid of it on principle. It's extra but, weight. Yeah. Older Jensen, though, adult Jensen was like, so if you blow turn one, how do you plan on stopping? You're just going to be out in the weeds, just just totally hose. Can I, well, finish finish this and then I'll, I'll tell a rear break. Now, I wouldn't you get call all, it you're a gonna, story. You're going to one-up me? No, I just want to, I just, I have a vent. Okay. Like, like much like your brake line. I have a, I have a, <laughs> I can vent. <laughs> yeah. No, there's not much to that story other than, then I, I pulled it into the pits and it looked like my rear brake has been the rear brake line. I should say has been wearing against the tire. There was enough slop in the little hose clamp thing that goes along the swing arm that it was allowing the brake line to shift and touch the rear tire. Do you have aftermarket fender or something Nothing. on it? It's all stock. Everything on the bike's pretty much stock. I mean, I've taken some stuff off, but there's nothing, nothing added. That's yeah, not well, that's stock. why I was wondering if maybe you had modified the position of the rear brake Mm-mm. line, or did you modify the rear brake line? Is it stock? No, it's as all shipped? stock. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it won't be soon. So I ended up ordering a uh, uh, Galfer steel braided brake line from our okay. good friends at Revzilla. Did not get a discount. So that mm, plug yeah. was for free. That's what I was say. Not only did you not give a discount, but you said their name. I plugged them. Because I'm just, it's good for the ecosystem. It is. You know, it's and like they do a good job. You know, they so, do a good job. so thanks, Anthony and team. But that Spurgeon guy, no one likes that Spurgeon guy. You should just fire him. Nobody likes him. I wonder, is your, how would your, the rear brake line fitment rate on their beard scale of how much it, have you ever seen that? They have this thing where they're, sh- they're explaining how difficult it is to put whatever product on. Oh, yeah. And there's like a beard scale. And it's, you know, it's quasi amusing, you know. Kinda, I guess. The really cool one was when they did a dog. Did you see oh, that? Oh, I did see that one. Yeah, and that was very cute. So if you if you can look this up, uh, listenership, go to Revs, Revzilla and look for the the fitment for a dog. And they did It'd be on their YouTube channel. Is it YouTube? Yeah, it's pretty funny because yeah, I think they're... it'd be hard to find on their website, but you can definitely find it on their YouTube. They, they just are basically helping out a um, uh, charity that did you know? Uh, yeah, they're good people. Good people out there in Philadelphia. They're slowly taking over the motorcycle industry, which is kind of scary. So I, for one, welcome our Revzilla overlords. Yeah, sure. Love them. Love them. Great. Great. It's like Big Brother. He loves you. He loves us all. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, rear brake story. So, rear, oh, oh <clears throat> wait, wait, let me finish up my, my track day. Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We'll come back to my rear brake. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll dog ear that. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, we're a hole through the brake line. No bueno. My day's done. No one's got a 2004 r1 brake line are compatible although i bet i bet if i looked really hard i probably could have found it but anyways it was kind of a bum deal but our good friend tyler was down with a panigale 1299s t-bone so uh he was very kind to let me borrow that for a session and i got to mix it up with some of the motor Corsa guys just um i was i was that guy though i was that guy in b group just kind of making questionable passes. Yeah, it's, and a, it's a tough thing to be that guy and be here. Yeah, but it's fun. But it's I like fun. It. It's I fun like riding it. with friends. I haven't actually gotten... I was actually saying that at the track day. I don't really get to ride with friends that often. Because um, usually usually when I'm on the track, I'm at a press launch. 
not to say I don't have colleagues that I'm friends with, and I definitely have a couple of colleagues that are really like mixing it up with, getting getting kind of bar to bar with. But usually you're out there for a different reason. You're out there to evaluate the bike and put it through its paces, and it's just a different kind of thing. I don't know quite how to explain it, but like I have a checklist of things that I'm trying to figure out on the bike while I'm on the track and doing track time. Whereas this weekend, I finally just got to be like, I'm gonna go play and have fun. And so we we got to go have fun for a session. Had a lot of fun in the pits, but it was kind of a bust as far as track day goes. But thankfully, I only have to wait a week before I can get back on the track again. And now the R1, hopefully, 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 we'll get to fire up in anger once again. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. We'll see. It probably, probably won't. I probably should bring a spare bike with me. You should. Yeah. Yeah. I'll probably bring the street It's fire. tough to trust the tuning fork bikes. You really can't. You never know when they're going to let you down. Yeah, it's really not true. That poor thing. <laughs> that poor thing. We everything, would, everything wrong with it is my fault. Like, let's just be really, really clear. Like, that bike has been nothing but reliable, nothing but good, solid, sweet, and I let it down completely as an owner. We, uh, at Graves, uh, we worked on, what years is two oh four oh four yeah. Yeah, we, this is, this is, these are the bikes that I cut my teeth working on at, at Graves. The engines would get built, and they would get blueprinted by the crew chief, right? Um, not heavily built, because it was super stock, and they would get, oil put in them and they would be run i think i'm pretty darn sure the lifing was 2500 miles never oil change just run and run and run and run until 2500 miles it might have been kilometers but i'm pretty sure it was miles because the r1s are just they're pretty burly at the time we would break the shit out of the uh, generator cover bolts. There was a, a very high RPM generator on, on one side and they would constantly break these bolts. So we'd have to put in these ARP bolts, which are a more, more, more gnarly, uh, higher grade bolt and then safety wire them. It was the only thing that would be funky. Every once in a while, the clutches, you had to make sure that you bathed the, the clutch in oil before you put them yeah. in. There was something about some oil feed on the early ones. Other than that, man, those things were bulletproof. So Good times. Um, my rear brake story. You ready for it? Yeah, I'm ready. Wait All right. On me. So, I uh, a, a couple few months ago, I I was asked to help with tech with the local race, racing organization, the Oregon O M R R A, Oregon Motorcycle Road Racing Association. So, I, it's an organization I've been racing with for many years, and they. Uh, the couple of the main uh, people, Chris Page and Matt O'Rourke, said, hey, we need somebody to help with tech. Why don't you come and do that? Okay, so I do. First month goes fine. You know, you catch stuff, you look at stuff, you get feel for what the deal is. Um, it, it seemed all normal. Everybody had their bikes kind of ready. You know, you, you do your track prep for the season in the beginning, and everybody goes overboard to a point, and everything's safety wired right, et cetera. Second, second month, it becomes apparent that the – the whole organization was just let go of most safety related stuff. Like there would be like, Oh, well, nobody ever told me I had the safety wire that, Oh, nobody, nobody would ever catch that. Oh, nobody ever saw that before. Like I'd, I'd hear this every single time somebody didn't have, Oh, well, nobody ever told me that. You know what I mean? Other than the rule book. Right. So it's like not a suggestion book. It's a rule book. You got to have this, you name the thing safety wire. Do you have to have, you name the thing, um, uh, done in this specific way, whatever, right? So let me interrupt. How egregious are we talking? Are we talking like like really basic Oil, stuff? Like you didn't... drains okay. without fucking okay. safety wire on okay. them. Brakes non functional. Rear brakes 
not functional. Not just not pumped up, but not functional. Okay, so this was this was like the third month and I had multiple people come up to me with it was it was SV650 people. So well, that just feels you know, right. They're not even people. Yeah, like, first not. of all, so there there would be a couple. They could come up and the, the rear brake wouldn't work. Now there's tricks to making bikes go fast, and a lot of the tricks are either increasing horsepower or reducing friction. And one thing you could do in the rear brake world is blast your pads out. Just just force them all the way out. Force the fluid out, and then they are not even touching the rotor. And you go run your race. And I guess in some desperate attempt, you could pump, 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 and then get your rear brake, right? So if you were adult, you would do that. If you were insane, you would do that because you're club racing. And if you think that that resistance is going to help you win, then you're a dumbass. But you could do that, sure. So that might be one way to, to, to get, get around it. That would be one reason why you would have no functional rear brake when the tech guy goes to put his hands on your brake lever but in this case it literally just wasn't functional on two bikes just not even oh i don't use that seriously i i actually had multiple people look me straight in the eye and say well i don't use the rear you're not supposed to use the rear brake when have you used the rear brake and i'm just like you just want to crawl through their neck and you should be allowed to just clip their front brakes and be like all right you're ready to go have, then have at it right you're good to okay go. so but, but without being a complete dickhead like I am being right now, yeah. what what would you say? And what I do say is, well, the, it's not for when you're on track. It's not for... I personally use the rear brake every once in a while, specifically at PIR. I will use it going into turn four to set the chassis in a very specific way so that I make through the corner on a certain bike, right? I like it. It's the way it feels good. Maybe it's placebo effect. I don't care. I use it. That's me. But when I really use it is if I run off, which I have done multiple times, and you get off in the grass, if you use the front brake, you will crash. It's almost 100% chance of it. So you use the rear to kind of settle the chassis a little bit. And if it gets sideways, it's controllable as opposed to if, you know, if the rear brake locks up, you've got still a chance of control. Yeah. You can still be hazing the front brakes a little bit, but just not using them full power. But if you use the front, you're just, it's going to lock. It's going to tuck and go. Right. So that, the fact that I would have to, to tell a multiple grown racers, grown like absolutely expert level road racers, this or have this conversation was so beyond the pale that I actually had to start um, churning some shit up within the organization to start. So, OK, we have to change the culture of this organization is is so bad. It's like it doesn't matter the these were club racing who cares right and I, i'm like i can't i can't be behind that right well that's the funny thing you know just just to put the lawyer hat on for a minute like you know you go club racing and you're going to sign all these waivers the one thing you can't sign away in the u.s no matter what it says on the piece of paper is gross negligence so when you start getting into an organization that has a cultural or or just general ambivalence because the reason they do tech is to basically to to appease the lawyers. Yes. I mean, it's a safety thing for the riders sure. too, but it's sure. also a CYA yep. lawyer protection. Like, hey, no, we we had a certified mechanic look at this bike and lo it looked good at this point in time and something must have happened in the pits or whatever. Yep. But if you have this culture, you create this atmosphere where it becomes so lackadaisical that you start having that issue that waiver becomes useless. Right. So it becomes this thing that is not only now, it's not only a safety issue for the people on the track, but it's now 
you're talking about the life of that organization. You're one lawsuit away from the whole thing going away. Okay. So imagine me coming in as a volunteer. I'm not getting paid. I'm, I'm doing this because I want to give back to the organization that has given to me uh, a lot of fun. And and I just happen to not be racing. I haven't in a while. I'm, I'm going to eventually, I'm just not bothered. It's whatever. I'm going to help. Right. I get up at five in the morning to get to the track and be ready at seven. And I'm there for an hour and a half before I go to work on a Saturday morning. So I go to work at 830 from there. So it's not like an insignificant thing. It's not like, a, oh, well, it's I'm just doing it for fun. Right. So for me, that's one part is frustration that I'm getting shit on by these people who are unappreciative. And this is a couple months ago. And it feels horrible because you, you just become misanthropic. You're like, fuck these people that I have to race with. If you don't give a shit, then why do I give a shit? Oh my God. So it was really angering, like seriously angering. So I had to have a sit down with a couple of the people that I was like, listen, I'm, I can't put my name on any of this. If we can't tighten up as a whole, there's too many people doing tech. Not enough of them know what's going on. Nobody's regulating it. Right. Nobody's keeping notes. It's, it's really bad. So then we started taking notes when, when Johnny, would come through with his non-functioning rear brake. It would be like, no, you have to come back and we write it down. They come back and it would work okay. And it would be like passable. Yes, that would arrest your speed if you got mm-hmm. off road. But you know what? Your brake needs to be better than this. Then you'd write it down. Uh, you have safety wire on certain things. You know, there's, there's absolutes. We, we came up with a list of, we sat down with the lawyer with the Omer lawyer, which was a fascinating thing, and came up with a list of major faults and minors so that we could be clear that if you show up with any fluid retention system that isn't doubled up, like, okay, so there's a tight bolt and the bolt safety wired. So those are the two things. It's a redundancy, right? So radiator caps, oil drain, oil filter, et cetera, et cetera. That has to be done. You No longer are you going through. For for years, people, they've been, they, you do this thing where you just smear a bit of... Uh, silicone on the bolt and let it dry and then and call that good it's it's the stupidest thing you could ever come up with i mean yeah there's a little bit of 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 rationale for that like the you know vibration is what causes uh, these these bolts to back out the bolts are just in a constant state of wanting to back out that's just the physics of it so sometimes i guess if you had a dried glob of, of silicone that would work sometimes but for the most part no so we had to start changing that like no that's not going to be sufficient but if they came if somebody came in their rear or say the exhaust mount bolts are tight but they're not safety wired okay you can you can have that we have to mode that down it better be done the next time right or it will have to be done the next time so we had to at least give it a little we don't want to be complete assholes oh your numbers are not the right size okay we just fix that for next time you don't we don't want to cause troubles but we had to have this <clears throat> the lawyer had to explain it very clearly and it, it felt good as a volunteer to have the lawyer explain it and you might be able to appreciate this he used a precedent where a local ski uh, slope had changed their ski park up overnight or and then it snowed and a person went down the run thinking that there was going to be an object to jump off of and it wasn't and they hurt themselves so there turns out are different levels of extreme sports and one of them is the um, like motorcycling is considered hyper dangerous like I, there's a term for it i'm sure it's a little bit deeper than that which skiing isn't even considered 
hyper dangerous. Motorcycle racing is the worst of the worst, which actually relieves a lot of us from any culpability for any of it because they're basically saying it's assumed that right, it's a foreseeable risk. Exactly. Like heavily, not just kind of foreseeable. Like you are absolutely taking your life in your own hands, right? right it's like, it's like um, skydiving where it's like, you're going to yep. jump out of a perfectly good plane and gravity is going to do its thing. You know, multiple, multiple risky things are happening over there. An infinite, over an infinite amount of time, your chances of survival goes to zero. Yep. So that was cool to hear because he's, that this is what the lawyer was basically saying. You, you, you get a lot of leeway with that because, again, a lot of it's assumed. And that was what I was worried about is I would miss something in tech. I, I might not catch that one coolant drain bolt that isn't safety wired. And then that person oils down the track and then they say, well, who teched you? Oh, that long haired dude. Oh, and then I'm, all right. He said, no, that's not how it works. You're, the, you're volunteers in an organization. There's an assumption that these people understand the, the risks of working on their machines and that uh, they have to have the machines prepped. You're there as kind of a secondary. I mean, you're doing your due diligence to make sure as many of the bikes are right as possible, right? So that was cool to be able to hear that. Still didn't make up for the fact It'd be one thing if somebody came to me and, and the rear brake didn't work. And you know what? Fair play that it it doesn't work and they didn't know. I get it. You don't if you don't use it, you don't use it. Yeah. Mine worked in the garage the night before. Right. But but I yeah. do. I kind of yeah. do. I don't I I don't want to be riding on track with people who wouldn't check thirty percent of their brake control just on general principle. Right. I, I don't I, and, and if there's a culture that's developed from that, where some knuckle-dragging, mouth-breathing moron would want that to happen, where like, oh, yeah, there's good, yeah, who cares about rear brake? I never use it. That, I oh, couldn't get behind. And I definitely had people at the track be like, you should have gone out. I don't use my rear brake. Yeah, that's it's moronic. It's truly moronic. But I guess there are people like myself who test the limits a lot. Like when I get on a track... If I'm racing on any given weekend, oof, I can't tell you how many times I've run off testing limits going into you name the corner. Yeah, yeah there might be a, a bit of like, oh, well, this corner is safe to do that in. Turn seven at PIR, turn one even, where if you get in too hot, you, you get in almost sideways, you have to pick the bike up straight and get in the grass and then get that rear brake on. Then you rest it and you get back on the track, right? I do, right. I've done it a bunch of times. I once ran off in Willow Springs at turn nine, and not too many people that listen to us probably understand this, but it was pucker factor 20, man. It was, that is, that is the stuff of nightmares. It, it, it was nasty. Yeah. And it was on a 250 Grand Prix by getting bucked like a Bronco all the way out there. But luckily, I was able to, again, rear brake the shit out of it, sliding, 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 hit the berm, make the corner ish. Didn't and then, hit the water irrigation ditch. Right. It was the get, and there's a ditch that then goes yeah. to the wall. And I know somebody personally who died doing that exact thing running off in turn nine ejecting themselves over that thing and dying yeah, right it's a it's a known i mean you want to talk about liabilities and things like that's a known issue at willow springs and i'm surprised i don't know if there's ever been any litigious actions over it but for the amount of racing that goes on there and the amount of track days that have gone there in the past i can't imagine it's gone unchecked or, or a lawyer hasn't looked at that but that for me like you said, like you know someone personally. I don't know anyone personally, but I can think of a few notable crashes that I've seen there. And, and it's, it's just all ugly. it's just one of those things like you know, there's there's this there's this thing I almost want to call it a meme, because I see it on Reddit sometimes, but I've seen other journalists pick it up where they make fun of the notion of, Oh, I had to lay it down to save it, or I had to lay it down. And it's like that idea of like, well, yeah. you're 
you're trading, you know, control over an action versus a loss of control over an action and calling it safety. <laughs> that turn or that air, there's a couple, I think there's two turns at Willow Springs that can get you in trouble with those ditches. Um, uh, I'd say three or four. I mean, the whole yeah, track is surrounded few. by it. Yeah. yeah. The one I'm thinking of in particular, but that is one of those situations where I think if I went off there, I would just grab the front brake and call it done. <laughs> I would take no. I'm, I'm dead serious because yeah. it's it's kind of yeah. it's not like the Marco Simoncelli thing. No, but it is one of those things where it's just like if you're because it's so fast. It is such a fast. Uh, what's the turn? That's like 150 miles an hour. Turn eight. That's turn eight. Okay, um, fastest turn west of the Mississippi. You're doing a buck fifty or more. It's gnarly. It's it's, it's gnarly. the scariest fucking turn I've ever been in my entire life. It's the only turn I probably haven't tried to give a hundred percent on because oh. it's just that is it doesn't separate the men the men from the boys. It separates like the gods from the mortals. So full full faith and credit to anyone that's that's railing that fucker. But that is absolutely you're going to go off the track at a buck fifty, which when you think about the the closing speeds, the distance that you have to to slow your bike down on just shitty desert dirt rocks crown sagebrush you're just you're just yeah i would absolutely i would absolutely lay that bike down and take my chances sliding because otherwise i'm going 150 miles an hour into a irrigation ditch that'll probably kill me guaranteed guaranteed uh i bring that up every time i hear that stupid stupid rebuttal to that thing yeah i do think it's stupid to be like i laid it down to save it yeah nine times out of ten you probably don't have to lay it down yeah but this is definitely that one time out of ten yeah um Sorry, kind of hijacked you there. No, it's good. No, I think there's, it's worthwhile talking about because it's it goes to all all the listeners, not just people who might be racing. Check your bikes over before you go out, right? Um, and and make sure everything's functional and make sure everything's right and tight. It's part of the part of the process of being a motorcyclist is to get quasi familiar with it as a mechanical entity that you, that is it's it's risky, right? You, it's an inherently unstable vehicle. Its its default mode is topple. It will topple over. That's what it does. If you didn't have a kickstand to put up, you would topple, right? So it's a... I'm giving you such a dirty look right now. I know you are. Dirty, dirty, (laughs) dirty. Not as dirty as a bike that's kickstand didn't go down and is now on the ground, right? So that, for me, was a a big deal, and that's a rear brake deal. And I'm, um, I'm all about having a fully functional everything on the bike if you can. And subsequently, I, I, I we've seen a lot of improvements uh, with the organization. It just takes a little teething to get the entire um, racership of the of the organization to just tighten tighten up. Stop showing up to the tech inspection with oil filter cover bolts that aren't safety wired and then try and tell me that they don't need to be because they're hollow or I, I, I mean, you could, we wouldn't believe what BS some of these quote unquote oh. tuners are oh, telling man. their, their riders. Cause I had this, I had a rider who I know is an awesome person and they were like, Oh, well, um, the, this, these bolts are hollow. So if you drill through them, it'll be a problem. You gotta be fucking kidding me. I actually removed one of the bolts to show them that that wasn't the case. I just grabbed one of our tools. I was like, that's absolutely bullshit. Right. Don't, why right i had so i had another person to show me a, there you, was a you know why i can tell you why because i've seen this shit before and i have a story of my own that i'll, I'll follow okay, up do with. it because it's that stupid forum mentality i yeah. read it on a forum yeah. boom yeah. it's the same thing i read it on the forum i had to drop it to save it 
It's Ugh. just that it's that group think when it's like you don't really sit there and think it all the way through. So finish what you're going to say because I got a forum group think story okay, for you. So in this case, I had another, a, a gentleman, an older gentleman with a Husqvarna dirt bike or KTM dirt bike that was using. Whoa, 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 a, whoa, whoa. A, a. whoa. So Just because there's oil in the airbox doesn't mean you have to safety wire it. <laughs> hey, it's better than oil on the outside of the bike. As long as it's kept internal, you're okay. So Does the does the airbox count as a catch can? Yeah, totally. That's fine, right? You're good to go. Yeah. You're good to go. Tech that shit. So, gentleman comes up and and you you i look at the chain link and the chain link it is very 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 triple throwdown obvious when a a master link for a chain is either a peen style that is like pressed on or clip style that doesn't require that right and this chain was a clip style full stop right it had little grooves to accept a clip you can't get any more clip style than that it was obvious it was clear is a clip master link not tech approved it's tech approved if there's a clip on it <laughs> okay not if there is a smudge of silicone, silicone? oh my god and, and then so i i take off the oh. silicone because i'm like there's i mean i see the protrusion i'm not a dumb fuck right but these people think that and they have been this person had probably been getting away with this over and over a lot of them had because the tech inspection process had been kind of let go over the years right just let go and anyway so i I'm, I'm telling this guy and he's this is a dude that's probably in his 60s really nice guy obviously fairly sharp but he's trying to blow smoke up my ass telling me that that was a peen type i'm like no no it is not and I, then I have to turn into the fucking expert that knows more than that person. And, and then you end up being a dick. Right. And I hate that. But I couldn't. I actually kind of stepped back. I told the, the main dude. And I said, hey, I can't. We can't pass that. And we had to, they had to end up getting a, finding a, a clip. He had to find a clip. I don't give a shit if you've been riding it. Oh, and it was like, well, it'll be, it's been that way forever. Well, I'm, you know what that means? It's You're a wear item. You still have a leg. A chair, a, a chain is a wear item. It's going to loosen up over time. And that's even more just because it has stayed that way doesn't mean, oh my gosh, I'm sorry to get frustrated by it. But that, this is the type of thing where it's, it, if they'd have showed up with a rear brake and said, oh, dude, I'm so sorry. I'll be back. Right on. Spot on, Bevan. Right. Because anyone can fuck it up. Anyone can fuck it up. That's yeah. what your job's there for. Yeah. Because anyone can fuck it up. And, and the, instead of being appreciative, dude, thank you so much for catching that. Yeah. I could have hurt somebody. Not just them. It's it's not just that. I'm not, I don't give a shit. If if Skippy One wants to go out with no rear brake, I absolutely, I actually believe it in. I would have wanted them to. And then you know what? You go run off and let Darwin take all of it, right? The problem is, is, is Darwin might not just take care of him. Darwin it might take care of the other person, people. right? Yeah. Oh, when would you need it? Oh, when you run off and turn seven and the only place to go from there is turn nine, you right. motherfucker that's going to take somebody else out. Seriously, I was getting angry at these people. And because then you can go right into a tire wall. Yeah. Oh my God. And, and, and to get cocky about it and then get on fucking keyboard. Oh my God. I watched it on Facebook, but the people getting shitty and, oh, and it was like this. passive aggressive douchebaggery. Yeah. Oh my God. And I, and I can't say anything because I'm representative of the organization. So I have to be a better person than these people. And you it's sad. The high road. It's so sad. But then I get to talk massive amounts of shit on a podcast, which really feels good. So the catharsis is happening. So you tell me, what is your, what is your story with the forum fucking cowboys? Oh, oh cause I had, um, so I've been getting rid of a lot of motorcycle parts. I've been trying to clear out my garage mostly to make room for your your motorcycle thank you <laughs> we should we should take a moment and say congratulations on your new baby 
She's very, she's very pretty, black, two valve, air cooled, multi strata. Oh yeah, thank you. Pierre Terre Blanche would yeah, be oh, yeah. proud. Yeah, totally. Uh, it looks good. Looks good on you. So congratulations. Yeah, there. yeah. Mine, and I get, I kind of get the benefit of it too because it's like I, I get to add another bike to my garage. It looks good because in there you're, too. You're like an overflow situation now. Yeah. So we're all, we're all like asses to elbows, and I think there's eight bikes in the garage now. Asphalts to rubbers. <laughs> Assholes to rubbers. <laughs> Assholes and rubbers. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah right. uh, that's for you jeremy yeah okay so uh yeah um, so no. anyway so i've been i've been getting rid of some stuff and one of them was uh, a set of tires brand new pirelli diablo rosso courses i love pirelli tires but they got to come up with some unique names because everything is some sort of Rosso, Corsa, Super Corsa, Diablo, Pirelli, Dragon. There's not enough differentiation between them. They sure. all sound the fucking same. And they 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 go in and out. Like, they phase them in and phase them out so quickly that there isn't really, like, I think now, like, the top tire is the Super Corsa SP. Ugh, just kills me. Anyways. So I'm trying to sell these tires. They're brand spanking new. I've been sitting on my shelf for a year. And I go to sell them on the local forums here. And good price. I'll deliver them to you. No big deal. The only the only feedback I get from every person is, uh, when were they manufactured? Can you tell me the manufacturing date that's printed on the tire? And I'm just kind of like, what a weird thing to ask. Like, I I, I, I kind of get it, but like the impetus behind it is just like, they've read somewhere on the forum, like, hey, you know, the, all tires are stamped with like a birthing date and you should make sure that you get like, you know, new tires when you buy them from the dealers and not get like old tires because like dealers could be selling oh, sure. you an old tire. Oh, sure. Despite the fact that like, because like, that was the thing that was giving me, that was giving me a little shitty, but I was like, this tire hasn't even been out for five years. Like this tire has only been on the market for two years. It's so, like by definition, this tire is good to go. But the fact that I had three people ask me for the date that was stamped on it, I was just like, you read that on a forum somewhere. I guarantee you, you don't really care about this, but you read it on a forum. So you're asking me what the, the, the date stamps are so weird because it's the week of the year yep. and then the year. Yep. And I'm just sitting there going like 52, 13. Exactly. Right? 22nd week of 2013. Right. Yep. Yeah. Well, I think one of them was 27, 14. So 27th week of 14. I was like, he's like, how old is it? I'm like, I can't even do the math in my head. I'm pretty good at math. Don't even know. I don't know. Like a year and a, it's like a year and a half old. I don't know. There's you figure you do the math. There's the price. Price is going to be the it same. It would matter if the if the tire had been mounted and had been sitting outside sure. or in in the elements, mounted and on the bike. Right. Right. I will actually say I will agree that that is a potential problem if they have been mounted. Uh, rubber will degrade with with by just being exposed to ozone to to atmosphere. So that was, no doubt. That sure. was my thing. I was like, why do you care about this? What you should really be asking me is where were I, they? Stored? Did I store these next to any power tools? Because the number one source of ozone in your house is going to be an electric drill, a table saw, something that has an electric motor in it that's going to give off ozone when it operates, air conditioner, whatever. That's the question you want to ask. Hey, was this left out in the sun a bunch of times? Was this that stored outside or inside? Nope, just the tire date. Just the, the piece of information that, that is the least useful for you, that you really shouldn't care about because they're brands making new. You can still see the mold release on them. I don't know. That was my little rant because it was just it was just the most bizarre question to 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 field, and I was just like, "This is you read this on a forum." I now, guarantee you read this on a you, forum. You also had to deal with the. Uh, this is something that the technicians or the service writers are trained to look for, 
uh, at a dealership. Because if you bring in a bike that has tires that are ancient, you've got to tell them it's, it is a due diligence and it's a liability. If, sure. If there's a five-year-old tire mounted on a wheel, you got to tell them. It doesn't mean it's screwed. It's just you have to say, hey, there's a certain amount of lifetime to these tires and you might be past it after a certain. It's not like there's a law that says their tires have to be changed after four years. There might be in Japan, but not here. So it's just good information to know. And I could see where somebody would want to know. And I, I would, I, I, I mean, I wouldn't care, but I mean, if I'm buying something from someone I've never met, sure. I'm probably going to ask that question. I'm not, not like getting shitty that that question was asked. I just think it's such a strange question to have, to have it be the only thing you care about in this transaction. Yeah, sure. Not like, Hey, why are you getting rid of them? What's the deal with these? Where just store them? What's, you know, give me some history on them. Just when, when, when were they manufactured? Cause you know, this is a consumable that's just going to like turn into paper. <laughs> yeah. And I'm just like, it was just at the point. I was like, what a weird thing. What yeah. a weird, weird thing. Cause that's, it, cause it was right on the forum. I guarantee you, it. Did you then ask them what kind of oil they use? <laughs> no. I just don't uh, engage. <laughs> Do you use synthetic? <laughs> so that's the thing. That's the, I mean, that's the main thing. That's the running joke is that you get on the forum. Tires and oil. Yeah. Tires, tires and oil. oil. Every tires. time. You can give me Pennzoil. I will put it in that Multistrata. I'm not kidding you. I don't give a shit. Right? I will run it all day long. I know it's not good. I have don't give a fuck any longer, right? I'm so desensitized to it. Well, on a real race bike, sure, maybe I'm going to worry about it. But even then, it, I'll go and buy Mobile One car oil and I'll put it in my motorcycle. <laughs> Get it from Costco? You. Yes. <laughs> I've done it and I've made seasons on it and it works. My Screw first, you. My first car was this 19, it was it was a month older than me. It was, I'm not going to say hold am. It was a month older than me. It was a 1980s turbo diesel Mercedes. Had about 300,000 miles on it. It's pretty, it was in good shape for how many miles it had on it. But it, it blew through oil, like just to the point where I was putting about a quart of oil in every time I filled up the tank. Yeah. And it was one of those things where, like, nah, I don't care. Whatever's on, whatever's on sale at Costco, I'm buying a case of it. I put it in the trunk of the car. Every time I fill up the car, glug, I, put glug, it, glug. I put it in another quart and I'm good to go. And you know what? That ends up becoming a total loss system. Exactly. You don't have- you don't have to change Never the oil because you're oil. just constantly putting oil in it. Replace the oil filter every, you know, when I felt like yep, it. Sure. But you know, it's funny, my ST2, which I think at about 120,000 miles, I, I started to, it was leaking, it was burning a certain amount and it was seeping a certain amount. And I didn't care. I kept running it. And so I would have to, I'd gas station oil, Chevron, Shell whatever, Texaco, whatever, whatever gas station oil was in there. It was a 20W50. Good. That's the best. But if it didn't have 20, oh, zero 30, whatever. I'd, so it was total loss. And, and every once in a while I would, I would change to this day, like the bike is still sitting there. It burns a quart of oil, every gas fill up. That's a lot. That's a lot. So that's why yeah. I stopped riding it. Right. <laughs> so it, I mean, but it still runs like a raped ape. I did a track day with it like that. What did you just say? A raped ape. Okay. What did you think? No, I don't want to repeat it. Okay, right? I don't want to I don't want you to repeat it. So it still runs extremely well. Why does it run extremely well? It it has high compression pistons that are sooty on the top with so much burnt carbon that it kind of helps the compression and then everything <laughs> everything else is so loose because it has 140,000 miles on it. So I mean, it's there's no friction. So it actually runs really well. It just blows burnt 
oil and hydrocarbons, like raw gas, horrible. And at a track day, I actually got black flag. <laughs> I did one track day, like, like, and I think that's what finally killed it. I was like, okay, it's, it's burning too much. And I like, you, you get like oil mist on you if you're behind. <laughs> so it's kind of rewarding. A lot of blow through. Old, nasty. And then I did the alley sweeper on it. And that was the final. I did it in 2013 or so. I think I did the alley. So it's been sitting and I got an, I've had another engine for that thing since uh, 90,000 miles. I thought, oh, I should have a backup and I've never had to use it. So finally, Oh, well, maybe one of these days. I don't know. I just bought this Multistrada. <laughs> so now now I'm just going to burn through it, right? Uh, yeah, it's um, so oil. Don't care. I just don't care any longer. I actually, it's funny. I have all this super whammy elf oil that was um, overstocked, frankly, from Motosys. And when uh, we cleared out the Motosys building many years ago, uh, when, when it was time to be done with it. Yeah. I, they were like just giving away stuff. And with, I mean, he was sponsored by Elf, Elf for years. Elf is a French company, ELF. Um, Made some wicked bikes. Yeah, the Elf in that. I, yeah, is it the same? It's got to be the same. Yeah. yeah. Interesting hub center steering front stuff and fascinating. Look that up. Uh, I show might, notes. Yeah, show notes. But the oil company as well. And they make some really trick oils, like really Formula One level trick oils and that's what we had we're talking hundred dollars per like a four quart thing easily right so like a gallon yeah so that is it's kind of but it's like a leader's <laughs> thing right something about leaders i don't know well Take like me a leader, to your leaders <laughs> leader in a guy in a quarter pretty close yeah that's what i'm saying so anyway the um um i i put that in my van because i can't use it in my a48 race bike because it'll make the clutch slip and oh because you're wet clutch i learned that uh, very bad. Is that because it has Molly in it? Molly? Molly? Isn't that the the thing that makes it slippery? Yeah, it's molybdenum, but not Molly like the drug. Yeah, right? no, no, that's something. Put different. Molly in it makes you that's feel real Saturday, good. That's a Saturday night. That <laughs> is. Oh man, can you imagine doing a track day on Molly? That was just. <laughs> I can't. I know I can't because I've never done Molly. Yeah, you just be on the front straight, just licking the berm. You just be like, <laughs> you stop the bike, lean it against the wall, and just start licking like the start finish line, <laughs> like a frog. Oh God, no, I can't mm. imagine that. <laughs> anyway, so yeah. Meanwhile, <laughs> yeah, I burnt up a couple of clutches at Road America a couple of years ago, not realizing that it was the oil. And yeah. I, I was stupid enough to run this super fancy oil, but it was in my garage. I was like, oh, I'll take this, right? That is the only thing I've heard in the oil debate that is worth yep. mentioning as far as like what oil to use. It's just making sure it doesn't have molly in it because it's so damn slippery and because... It'll make the clutch slip. Yeah, the engine yep. oil and the clutch are sharing things. Sure. It's bad news bears. And it would work great in a dry clutch Ducati, of course. Hook, hook a brother up. Uh, but not... Uh, you know what it works great in? Street Fighters. A 1982 Mercedes TN308 van. I, I feel like you're just wasting That's that That's what thing, makes though. it so awesome is because I'm... That was the irony of this. I'll put the Pennzoil on the race bike, but I'm putting this $100 per... What did you call it? A gallon? Gallon. A four, per gallon. Four quarts a gallon, yeah. Uh, in, it's like a gallon of milk. It's about in, the same size. In, yeah, it's funny how that works. They're, but they're, Is it an English gallon yeah, or an American, American gallon? gallon. <laughs> oh, Michael, God <laughs> so bless you. I'm using this shit in, in my van because I know it doesn't go in the clutch. It does, right? It, this is engine oil only. And unfortunately, it does seep out quite a bit because that's what that, that, that really, really thin oil does in an older engine that's not, that wasn't built to that spec of like super, super thin. Yeah. All right. So there's that. 
but I think it's funny. And I would give it to somebody else, but I'm like, actually, it's worth. It's not worth risking giving that oil. I wouldn't. I wouldn't put it in my dirt bike. I'd be worried about it slipping the clutch. Yeah. yeah so. You're gonna have to put it in like a Street Fighter or two. Yeah, maybe so. If only there was a garage nearby that had yeah, a couple Yeah, maybe. Of those. Sure. Okay. That's. I. I think I actually have one set of that left. Yeah. All right. Uh, you want to talk about tires some more? Headlight, yeah, headlight right. fluid. Yeah, what do you got? Tires. No. Uh, <laughs> I could talk about that Multistrada again. We talked about a couple weeks ago that I went on a long ride that was amazing. Did another really good ride. This camping riding thing's the shit. Simple camping yeah, riding. About it. It's uh, it's just very cool to be able to just pull up to wherever. I and- wish there was like a segment in like the motorcycle industry that was all about like taking motorcycles on i don't know, like adventures like touring around the country and going on adventures. Why, why don't you start that up you should probably have like a, a thing like part of asphalt and rubber oh yeah Maybe. well probably not part of asphalt i'll probably start like my own i'll probably start like a spin-off site yeah sure know. you should do that absolutely adventure adventure riding stuff all right do we have a listener question that we, we can dig into yeah we're kind of oof, we're tough on time so hopefully we can get through this see i, feel like I knew this we is... would do good that we'd rabbit hole off of something fairly banal like that was right hey we're gonna start talking about well that was good that was good i'm, I'm actually i'm surprised that we're that far into the just chewing the fat yeah that's I mean, basically this, basically it's just been like an hour-long delay to some stupid kickstands up joke yeah right that's what this last kind of diatribe has been okay so well yeah let's play uh i think i teased this actually a couple episodes ago we got a email from our buddy Kyle Mayer. He wrote a question in the email that wasn't in the audio and we addressed that. Here's the audio, which is a different set of questions, but I think they're good and I think they're mostly up your alley. So All right, let's get to it. Let's play it and address it. Hey guys. So a couple of months ago, I was at the Moto America round in Wisconsin at Road America. And as I was watching some of the 600cc bikes go around the track and a little bit in the pit lane, some of them made a bit of an unusual sound. It was kind of like a coming from the engine, and it was not—it was not like the engine was over revving or anything. But it kind of sounded like, or at least it reminded me of when Quentin was talking about Matt Maladin's quick shifter uh, from a few years ago. So I was wondering if that unusual sound was was the quick shifter, or maybe something else from the engine, or maybe I'm just hearing things and. Um, but I'm just curious to see if you know what that sound was, Quentin. Uh, another question I have uh, that arose from my experience at the Moto America round is uh, the pa- is paddock etiquette by spectators. So there was one rider I wanted to say hello and good luck to really quick, but she was about to go out for qualifying, all suited up, had her head together with a mechanic, so I just kind of refrained and because uh, I didn't want to disturb them from working so i was just wondering when a good time might be to talk with riders or mechanics or race teams throughout the the race weekend aside from the obvious official time when riders are doing autographs and so forth um, whether it's moto america or ama pro flat track or even just a club weekend what's the uh what's the polite time to talk with the teams so those are all my questions for now thanks for listening Keep calm and roll on. Uh, first one, the sound you were hearing is something called a pit lane speed limiter. Um, this is a control, very much like a rev limiter, that um, cuts fire to the um, 
the ignition and or the fuel. I don't even know with these bikes. I know I have one on my A48 and it's a beautiful thing. You can, you can adjust it for a, a mile per hour. Most bikes are, uh, still have, uh, provisions to be able to, to, to gauge speed. So you, it might be in kilometers. So you figure out whatever it is. And if it's 50 miles an hour, which I, from what I remember, that's what the AMA pit lane speed limit is. And you have a map switch and not a lot of people, at least, I mean, it took a while for a lot of people to figure out that if you had multiple maps in one of these newfangled systems, that you could use one of them as a pit lane speed, speed limiter. You just have you just lower your um, uh, uh, red line to whatever yeah. that was in that gear or whatever it was in that speed, and it would just control it. It's pretty simple. So it's kind of a cool thing. You just go full throttle. It's pretty simple unless you're Guy Martin, and in which case you get disqualified for like what was it, point zero two miles per hour over. Yeah, that's in a race that he was about to win, which would have been his first TT win. Yeah, yeah. Just that's, saying. Just want to throw so that in. Sad. There. That's so sad. Oh, the little little violins playing for his mutton chops, right? So um, you get it figured out, and you know what? Maybe maybe it it if you're accelerating up to it, and it hits the 450, but you're still going to accelerate a little. It might, it might not hit a wall, and you might pop over. So you got to figure out what that is. I don't know if you call that hysteresis, but it would be like a, you hit it and then it goes back down to, to the mile per hour. So that's interesting that you think it's the, the, the pit lane limiter. Cause when I listened to the question the first time in my mind, cause I didn't think it was coming through the pit lane. I thought it was on track. No, I'm sure. And that's what he talked about being in the pits. And as they're going, the only time you use it is as you're entering the pit lane and exiting the track. So you put it on map for me, it would be like the map B. And then you can just accelerate in whatever gear all the way up. And then as soon as you cross the threshold, you just press your button for the for the real one. And then and you go. Then on the way in the same thing, you uh, you decelerate till right before the threshold of the pit lane, and then you reaccelerate up. You try and hit it low. You try and go, you know, to forty miles an hour, and then yeah. up to fifty. And that way, you you never uh, are afoul of the law. Right. Yeah. I guess my my understanding is he was hearing this on track, in which case I would think it would be the traction control. And it and it would be, but I th- I'm pretty sure what he's describing and the way he was describing it, uh, especially what I, my cue uh, uh, was off the pit lane and being in pits. Because if he's hearing it, and it's a notable thing, that's a weird sound, yeah, right? Yeah, you hear it in the pits, it's, yeah. It's just constant, is, for sure. sounds like, um, what are those things in the, mo- what, it was the awful Star Wars, I think it's episode one, when you have the speeders that were like controlled by, you know, you do pod you'd, racing. Yeah. The pod racers. <laughs> There's a couple of them there. I don't, 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 right. I always thought about it. it. Like, Cause sound. each, each engine has a different sound one. you know, the Ducati would have a sound and the four cylinders would have a sound and the Yamaha V4 would be, or the uh, uh, cross plane would have a different sound. So it, it was, kind of, I think it's kind of cool. You know, and during a practice or a qualifying when there's a lot of people going in and out all the time, it makes for an interesting deal. Cause you'll hear it. Da, 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 and then they'll go. They'll clear out and go. Interesting to point out, though, regardless of it being the pit lane limiter or the traction control, it's the same mechanism that's causing it. It's yeah. you're cutting the spark to the sure. engine, and then or fuel or both, right? right. Depending on the on the Whatever. system. Yeah. Right. So uh, there's that. So there's that. Moving through, when is it the appropriate time to talk to riders and teams? Uh, you know, and there's really not any. You you have to be a very good judge and understand uh, body language. I would say if leathers are on, no. Like, I know that sounds funky unless it's after a race 
or you know it's after qualifying and they have their leathers on and they're talking to their crew chief and or team people um, and you know it's after and you know that person is it's not a 600 person that the thousands just got done that they are they are definitely we're on a 600 cc bike and that practice is over or that qualifying is over and it's not a split qualifying or something like that so if they generally the rule of thumb is if they've got leathers on they're 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 doing business but there's points in that at the end of the day if they still have their a lot of them just comfortable in them and they don't give a shit so you might be able to go up to them and talk to them if it's all done but really you don't want to be there in the mornings, generally, don't don't screw with them because they're trying to get in a zone and depend. And all kinds of things depend on the the course of the day, so you don't really you don't really want to do anything. They might be in a pretty foul mood, and you don't want to uh, yeah. disturb it too much. I would say it's definitely definitely a judgment call that you have to make yourself, and I think it's another one of those things that can vary from rider to rider a great deal. No, hugely sure. Uh, I remember talking to John Burroughs about it at the TT. He was a one of the top privateers, and he was like, you know, he was one of those guys who's like, I like talking to people right until I put on that helmet and we're going through the queue. Like if we're sitting on Glen Clutchery Road, getting ready to go, you know, five minute horn, whatever. Like I'm still talking to my mates, and there's other people that are just like, like, like you said, leathers are on. I'm getting my game face on. I yeah. got my earbuds in. I'm listening to music. Kyle sounds like he was talk, trying to talk to a female racer. So if it's Shalina Moreta, just go up and talk to her. You know, just, just bug her like when she's on the bike. Yeah. Just like yeah. just pull on her pigtail and be like, hey, Shalina, can you can you sign this for me? Jensen says hi. And she'll really appreciate I that. She's that. a big fan sure. of that. <laughs> I'm going to get a little earful because of this. No, sure. Um, well, and there's a bunch of other, right? The Boston brothers, always approachable. Always. They yeah. never weren't approachable people. I actually had Eric sign an autograph for me while he was riding. <laughs> yeah, just, you just, you just, just hang it out. Come by. One lap, and then the next lap, right, he brought it yeah, back. Yeah, yeah, real good guy. Yeah, those guys were good to work with. There's other people that were just rare, rare that they would even want to give anybody this time of day. It's unfortunate, but that's the way it is. And again, that some of these people are getting paid a lot of money and, that's their time to focus. That's what they do for a living. That's that's it's a big deal. But then you get a reputation for being a dick, like you know Casey Stoner, right? Matt Maladin. Or Matt, well, maybe. But you know what? I saw Matt Maladin surprisingly actually fairly cool to fans at any given time. It's just not other racers. Yes. Yeah. So to fans, he got it. He understood that. But he also understand that he had to be the antagonist. I think he played the antagonist role very wisely right i don't think he was playing quinn i think that was just matt being matt. yeah there's a bit of it matt being matt but over the course of time you start to see these people over and over and you realize they're not as bad as as everybody has made them out to be so i had that conversation with scott russell while, when we were in germany and you know obviously not so much about race as a racer i mean he's still a racer he's still mr daytona but just kind of like in his private life now kind of retired and doing his thing and he you know he brought up the point that i thought was really interesting he's like you know i worry about the day when they stop asking me for the autograph yeah sure you know we were at saxon ring and he was you know people are coming up and they wanted a photo with him and he's like love it you know it, it can get to a point where it's it's too much and you want to move on with your day but it's like fans coming up meeting fans like i love it sign an autograph absolutely take a photo you betcha because he's like, the day they stop asking, it's the day I'm no longer relevant. And that's like, my career is officially done at that point. And hmm. I thought that was an interesting perspective. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. Sure. Yeah, I wouldn't complain about it. Um, but I, I remember the, well, what, it was at Laguna Seca, the first year of the, of the MotoGP at Laguna Seca. 
and uh, my wife and um, Josh Heron and I went on a mission to find Rossi and found him because we knew Rossi, one of Rossi's caretaker guys, his name is Max. He's a really cool dude. And uh, we had got to know Max because we were all part of the Yamaha thing. And the Yamaha thing had all the um, uh, the food. Hospitality. Hospitality was yeah. all part of one yeah. big thing. So good old Max would come in and we'd BS a little bit. And he was a really cool guy. So we found Rossi and Max was with him. And I have this picture of Shannon and Rossi and Josh Heron like when Josh is uh, 17, what, 16, tall? You can 16. put him in your pocket. Yeah. And it's the cutest thing. And, it, you know, it's you know, with the Yamaha at the time, it was that yellow Yamaha livery. Um, speed block. Yeah, the speed block, which I maybe that was the second year. I don't remember. Whatever. It was an early MotoGP at Laguna Seca. It was either 05 or 06. It was back remember. when they were like still sponsored by Camel. No. 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 Remember, this was the time that they went from blue to yellow in one weekend, right? Okay. It was a special... So it was probably like 50th anniversary or yes, whatever it was. Yes, that's exactly right. So it had to be... 2006. Yeah, it had to be. So I don't know. I don't think that was the first year, but maybe it was. I just remember 2006 is when they did all the yep. yellow speed block livery for the R1. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So that uh, that was a really cool shot. And that was at the end of the day. And, you know, yeah, that's that, that, that was in the paddock after hours. Most people left by that time. I will say after hours, I mean, a lot, like, it depends on the race, on the circumstance, but a lot of these guys, if they have their motorhomes, like, they stick around. They're hanging out in the paddock all night. Yep. So, like, if you're sticking around at 7 p.m., just milling around, you're going to find a rider or two, and they're going to have just nothing but time for you. Yeah. Um, I will say, if you ever see Randy Mamol in the paddock, he loves talking to people. That's what I love about Randy. He will talk the ear off anyone. If you if you've got a pulse and you like motorcycles, Randy Momola wants to talk to you. Yeah, that's cool. Super good guy. It's too bad that they don't do that two up thing any longer. I was thinking no, about that. Do. They still do. I talked to Randy. They still do. Oh, did they? Yeah. I haven't. I just hadn't seen it in a while. It was a Ducati. I don't know if they still. Yep. No, I think it's still a Ducati. I think that would be fun. I totally do that. Yeah. I remember one time watching. Well, that's the thing. It's a very special thing. You the only round you can buy your way into that is at Silverstone for Riders for Health, and now Riders for Health is a new organization and I'm blanking out on the name and I should know the name, but it's, it's, it's cause it's in this like weird little thing where it's now it's just the UK and, but it's officially been taken over by, um, MotoGP. Carmelo Espaleta's wife is now running it. So it's not any longer riders for help. Yeah. They shut down their UK operations. They're still doing stuff in Africa. The, the U S operation is shut down, but it's kind of been defunct for a little while now. One of my favorite charities. We really love supporting them. So we're going to have to figure out how we can work with them going forward because it, it helped that they had an American arm that was a U.S. nonprofit. In fact, like for a while there, um, Amazon has like a Amazon charities thing and you could select Writers for Health as the charity it gives yeah. to, yeah. which is really cool. But now that they're either going to be in the U.K. or Spain, it's going to be a European entity and it's still kind of nebulous and I don't quite have all the details because I haven't had a chance to talk to anyone about it. But it's it's... It's going to live on. It's just going to be a little different. And these are, this is a situation where people are riding motorcycles to help to, to get to remote places with stuff. Right. So the idea behind uh, Riders for Health is that they empower healthcare workers in Africa and in their specific regions. And I'm trying to remember them all. And I'm not even going to try because I'm going to screw it up. Yeah. But the whole idea is that they're providing 
uh, people that are providing healthcare services to remote villages, remote places in Africa. They're providing them with a motorcycle. They're giving them training on how to ride and fix the motorcycle. The fixing part is the huge deal. Um, because like, I can tell you as someone who used to work for the UN, we love giving like land rovers and land cruisers to aid workers in Africa. And then like it blows a seal or a, a wheel falls off or something stupid breaks on it. And because no one's been trained on how to repair it, or there's no parts to repair it with, because maybe they're too complicated of a machine, they just get left on the side of the road for, for not good reasons. And two, there's like the infrastructure and the roads sometimes are so degraded that they're not really passable with four wheels, but a two wheel vehicle gets through just fine. And so these things are great for time sensitive things like vaccines that have to be uh, temperature controlled or like blood samples and things like that. But it's also just great to getting like healthcare workers to locations that are just too remote or too hard or too difficult during a certain season. So there's a lot of different um, services that are being involved there. And the whole idea is to help put this infrastructure in place teach local governments not only how to do it but also show them the value in it like hey you know for 10 million dollars you can provide healthcare services to all these villages here that's so much better than the 100 million dollars you were spending before so adopt this program make it your own we'll show you how to do it and transition it over to you um so hopefully that'll continue and and keep doing things and uh randy mamol is a big a big part of that and the whole point of the story was to say that the only round you could do the two up ride as like a, a normal person you can buy your way on was at Silverstone because Riders for Health was based in the UK yeah. and they do the Day of Champions there. And that's the whole that whole weekend is really just one giant fundraiser for that charity. It's really, really cool. They're still doing the Day of Champions. You'll probably see people around for a lapse. I think like the going price is like. 2,000 bucks, 2,000 pounds, 2,500 pounds, something like that. It probably would be well worth it to, for that opportunity. I don't like riding on the back of a motorcycle. I think that would be a really cool experience Yeah, just to like put a cap in it. Um, but all the other races, it's it's VIPs and it's, it's, you know, people of that nature. You know, one thing that that bike, you know, it has the pillion. Yeah. And it has the grab rails on the fuel tank. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have a kickstand. It's so sad. It's got a pit stand. Yeah, but it doesn't have kickstands. You can't put the kickstand up. You, do you know that for a fact? Have you checked? I've seen it. Okay. It's a race bike. Well, you quit on me. I am. You be quitter. I'm ready to put those kickstands up and get the fuck on the road. There's a Q in quit and there's a Q in Quentin. <laughs> I'm call you quitting. Quitting. Uh, it's quitting time. Quitting time. <laughs> get your quitting time on. Yeah, good talk. See you out there. Later. So just for old time's sake, here's a little German language lesson for you. If uh, you want to say the word cat in German, it's Katze. And if you want to say kitty cat, it's Mietze Katze. So if you're saying in English, here, kitty, 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 you would say Mietze Katze, meets, 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 in German.